Welcome to the Your Bard Podcast, a brand new podcast by Shakespeare North Playhouse. Each episode, we grab a drink at one of our locals in Prescott and chat to our guests about all things theatre, the arts, and of course, the bard himself. Join us as we chat to a range of guests, from directors and actors to local curators and historians. Grab a drink, pull up a chair, and settle in to the Your Bard Podcast. In this episode, we chat to the creator of the Derby Collection at Knowsley Hall, Dr Stephen Lloyd, about the links between Shakespeare, Prescott and the Earls of Derby. Stephen takes us all the way back to Jacobean, England, as we explore Prescott's original cockpit, Shakespeare's connection to the area and the history of theatre at Knowsley Hall. We recorded this podcast at the Lord Strange pub, which is quite fitting considering the podcast. Another one of Prescott's gems, the Lord Strange is a comfy, cosy pub that serves up amazing food and cocktails, alongside a great selection of European beers. If you're ever on Prescott's High Street, make sure to dip in. You literally can't miss it. It's the building with the huge graffitied Shakespeare on the side. So join us as we head to the Lord Strange to chat to Dr. Stephen Lloyd. So, Dr. Stephen Lloyd, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good stuff. Um, So we're going to go straight into Mm. it, I guess, with... Mm the late 1500s, going all the way mm. back to Prescott. So mm. outside of London, Prescott was considered to be, I guess, the only place with a freestanding Elizabethan playhouse. So what do we know about this original playhouse? Like, what can we, what have we got on it, I guess? Not a lot, <laughs> uh, but what we do have is very precious and it's in the documents and it's in the King's College archives and it's in the Lancashire archives. <laughs> and it is a, um, an account of uh, the court leet, which is the, the, the body that the local governance that ran this independent town, which was under the control of a steward. And in the late, very late 16th century, that steward was called Richard Harrington. And his brother was Sir Percival Harrington, who was the, kind of the, the local lord of the manor uh, of, of the, in the town. Um, now, the, what's really, really interesting about Prescott, not that it, just because it's a unique place top, on the top of the hill with this old church and uh, it's, a, it's a market town which is really significant and it has a fair as well, so it has an annual fair. So as a parish of 58 square miles, so it's huge, but the tithes, the rent, were then uh, given to, which are managed through the, the, the rectory, so the parish priest at um, Prescott um, were allocated to, um, by King Henry VI in the mid in 1447 to King, his new foundation, educational foundation in Cambridge, which has now become called King's College Cambridge, very, very famous for this huge chapel. Hugely expensive, wasn't finished until the reign of King Henry VIII. Um, but the tithes, or, or the, the, the tax, the 10% percentage of the income from the farmers uh, went through the rectory to, to the king. So, and it's still under the patronage, the living, the parish, uh, Prescott, of King's College Cambridge. And that's why you see his, um, the college uh, coat of arms around the college. And the, uh, amazingly, the archive survives and it records the legal disputes, the archive at King's College Cambridge. And in there, in the 1590s and 1600s, the first decade of the 17th century, are references to a playhouse. Mm. A, or in Latin, a lusorium, and just uh, Latin, the English, which is playhouse. And that's really unusual, that's really unique. There's no other record of that. At that period, we're in the Shakespearean period in the uh, 1590s and the early 1600s, anywhere else in England for a freestanding, purpose-built uh, playhouse. 
There were a bit later, there were playhouses in Bristol and in Chester and in York, but this is certainly the first that's on, on record. There may have been others, but they're just the records haven't survived. Mm -hmm. So it was a small, we think, we don't even know, it was, it was a wooden, uh, uh, it probably was wooden, it certainly wasn't stone, so it has to be wooden. And it was on the end of Eccleston Street, away from where the new theatre is and from the, from the church, the parish church was 1610, huge Jacobean church, and it's on the junction with Atherton Street, so, and it was known as the Waste Ground, so it's the end of the parish, it's before it becomes farmland, and so it was, it was the space that was, you know, it was a, it was a space that was empty, that was, could, where a playhouse could be erected, and so it was, the, it was obviously an entrepreneurial thing, and to, um, uh, to with the, with the market and with the fair to, and with the many pubs here. There were 19 pubs in 1593 and there were 43 by 1625. So this was really a boomed, boom town. It was, and it was an entertainment town. Mm -hmm. So people came from all over the parish and all over the Northwest to come here. And so um, we know that there was a very active cockpit here, only one of five cockpits for cockfighting, which is underneath the new Shakespeare Playhouse. Um, and so gentry came here as well as farmers and yeomen and people from all over the, 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 the southwest of Lancashire. Um, so, and that carried on into the well into the 17th century. We have accounts of people who were dicing and gaming and tabling, which is a form of backgammon. So mm -hmm. it was an entertainment centre. So, and so the, the, the playhouse was part of that boom of that entertainment industry in Prescott. I mean, it was a working town, but it was also an entertainment town. It's very strategic, it's on the hill. It's between Warrington and, and which is the lowest crossing of the Mersey, then and Liverpool, which is the port for the Isle of Man and, and Dublin and Ireland. So it's a strategic place, mm -hmm. and it's obviously very fertile land here agriculturally. So it um, uh, and but most importantly, it's it's right next Prescott is right next to one of the two main seats, the parks, the estates of the Earls of Derby, who are one of the most powerful families. In, in Tudor England, Elizabethan England, uh, vast estates, obviously centred here in southwest Lancashire at Knowsley and at Latham House, 10 miles north of here at Ormskirk. They had two great houses, Latham House and then the Hunting Lodge at Knowsley Park. Uh, and they were theatre mad. So mm. the fourth Earl, Henry the Fourth Earl, we know had a company of touring players from the mid 1570s and he died in 1593 and then. Uh, his two sons, I've just referred to Ferdinando, Lord Strange, later the fifth Earl of Derby, yeah. and his brother William Stanley, the sixth Earl, who was then uh, Earl for nearly 50 years, uh, they had their own acting companies. And so what we know that they performed at Knowsley and at Latham, because that's recorded, and they, their companies performed there and at Knowsley, and, but also there were visiting companies, uh, most importantly the Queen's men, the Queen Elizabeth's mm -hmm. men. And so the Queen loved to be entertained at court in her various palaces, so Greenwich and at Whitehall and the Hampton Court and uh, other, other palaces around London. So the aristocracy at court, the key aristocrats, including the Earls of Derby, would have these acting companies. Mm. And they would, they would try to get them to, to be allocated, to be chosen to, to perform at court. And so these, these acting companies came up to Knowsley. And so they needed somewhere to stay. They probably stayed here at, at, in Prescott. And they then obviously needed, while they were here, they would like to uh, make some more money so uh, to entertain the locals. Mm -hmm. And also, as it would have, I would just suspect it would have been a rehearsal place as well, before they went up to Nosey and up to Latham to do the, the formal um, performances. 
Um, so we know about the size of the theatre. It was a small, uh, in Prescott, it was a small wooden theatre, almost certainly. Uh, and it probably existed from, as I say, from 1595 at least until 1609. So for a period of about 15 years. But it is, it is very interesting. It's so interesting that the, 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 the question that you ask is, you know, why, why is there a playhouse mm. in Prescott? And, and what was it and where was it? So we know that it was here. We know where it was and we know its rough size. So we don't know exactly how it was configured but there would have been a stage and there would have been a kind of probably a standing performance area and there would have been what was known as a tiring room, a retiring room probably behind where the actors could get changed and get dressed and get ready for. So that is obligatory for all uh, Elizabethan and Jacobean uh, performance spaces, which are normally in the in um, inns, their courtyards in inns, and there, of course, London had places like the Rose Theatre, the Globe Theatre, and there's a whole group of theatres that we know an awful lot about now mm. from archaeology and reconstruction. Um, but of course, the, so the actors, they were these great acting companies of the aristocracy were centred in London under aristocratic patronage, but obviously they became their own business entities, and they, but they also performed all over um, England. They toured. Yeah. So they'd have done that anyway, but there's one really insignificant moment when they were toured, which when they were out of London was in the plague of 1592 to 1594, when two thirds of the population of London died. And so the, the theatres were closed to stop the contamination. It was the Black Death, it was, yeah. it was the bubonic plague. And so, so the actors got out. So they, well, the, all the actor companies would have moved out into, across the country. And so, Lord Strange, who was uh, Ferdinand, as I mentioned, Ferdinando the fifth Earl, of, and later, very briefly, at the end of his life, the fifth Earl of Derby. He he had this very famous acting company, uh, uh, which seems to have got going in about in the early 1580s and carried on until he died and was murdered in at, at Lake Nosley in 1594, April 1594. He'd only been Earl for eight months, but his courtesy title mm -hmm. as the eldest son of Henry the Fourth Earl was Lord Strange which is a title that comes from the wife of the son of the first Earl, who married the Baroness Strange of Knockin in, Stro right. in Shropshire. And so that was then the courtesy title for the heir to the Derby Earldom, right through into the 18th century. It's now called Lord Stanley, for complicated dynastic <laughs> reasons, which I won't go into here. But it is, people often ask, you know, what is Lord Strange and what is the title? But mm. that is it. And he, so the young aristocrats, you know, were modelling their fathers and the, um, the more senior members of court and they were and they were getting in the, the new talent and so where they could find it to try and build this really you know really good acting company so the Lord Strange's we know a lot about his acting company it was mainly based in London and it was mainly performing uh, at, um, at the Rose Theatre uh, on the South Bank which is one which is the main precursor to the Globe mm. uh, South Bank in London and it was managed by someone called Henslow and his amazingly his account book survives in the um, archive of Dulwich College in South London, which is a private school now, uh, the College of Allen's College, um, known as Dulwich College today. And so they've got a number of these early theatrical portraits because um, uh, there was this great bequest uh, um, then. And there, so, that, so, that, so there is all the accounts of the plays and how much they made. And in there is um, a reference to Lord Strange's company, and many references to Lord Strange's men or players. Mm -hmm. um, uh, um, I'm acting various plays, including um, by um, another very famous playwright called um, uh, Christopher Marlowe, Kit Marlowe, 
uh, and Thomas Kidd, yeah. uh, Dr. Faustus, and etc. Um, and uh, so, but there's also the first reference to uh, Shakespeare, one of Shakespeare's plays being performed, which is Henry the Sixth, Part One. And so that was a then it was a big hit because, of course, it's the first play about the trilogy of the Wars of the Roses. Yeah. Shakespeare's name is not mentioned there because, of course, there are the famous missing years in his biography from when he leaves Stratford after the birth of his third child in 1585. And he doesn't appear in the record at all until 1592 in London when he's attacked by a fellow rival playwright called Thomas Green. Um, and the pamphlet is called A Grotesworth, and, he's, and Shakespeare is attacked as Johnny Factotum and an upstart crow. And really, you know, it's quite a personal attack on yeah. this new talent. And the, the criticism behind it really is that Shakespeare is not an Oxbridge educator. He's not one of the elite. He's, he's a country boy. He's come from Stratford-upon-Avon. You know, he's a grammar school boy. Mm -hmm. So it's a classic kind of snobbery, class snobbery. Um, but, you know, he was this great talent. And they were really, they were worried about him coming up on the outside track and, you know, getting patronage. And, and of course, he did because he was so talented. And he was a clever businessman as well. So... It, there you have it in probably in 1589 to 90 and this is just the time when these really top acting companies are coming up from London to perform at Knowsley yeah. and at Latham for the for the Henry the fourth Earl of Derby and obviously the two uh, sons are there with their acting companies the uh, Ferdinando the fifth Earl and later the fifth Earl Lord Strange and then the William the sixth Earl so you know there are these little theatre festivals yeah. so so that is really, it shows how much ground that Ferdinando, uh, Lord Strange, has made with his company, Strangers Men, Strangers Players. So they're working at the Rose, which is probably the leading theatre in London, uh, and they'll undoubtedly be touring. We know quite a bit about their touring as well across England, like all the actors did. Um, and then, uh, but what's so significant about Lord Strange's players is that after uh, the fourth Earl dies in September 1593 and then Ferdinando takes over as from being Lord Strange becomes the, the fifth Earl of Derby um, they then become Derby's players and then this really interesting thing the first of the quartos the small playtexts that are printed about half of Shakespeare's plays are printed they're called the quartos they're all gathered together into the large volume of the first folio after Shakespeare's death in, and that's published in 1623 but half of those plays were not published or haven't survived in the quartos. But the first of Shakespeare's quartos to be published in 1594 by under the auspices of the um, uh, Ferdinando, uh, now he's the Earl of Derby, so he's Lord Derby's. Mm. He's Lord Derby, so they become the Lord Derby players. And he's listed on the title page of the Roman tragedy of Titus Andronicus, which is the... Uh, first play by Shakespeare to be actually published in print. Shakespeare's name is interestingly not on the on the title page, so he's not credited, which mm. is uh, interesting in itself. It's, um, but a number of his early plays he's not credited. So he's a jobbing writer. He's an established, famous poet through Venus and Adonis and the Rape of Lucretia. I mean, really, really popular, incredible. Uh, long poems, but he's also written the sonnets, the very, very famous mm -hmm. sonnets. They're not published until after 1600, but um, they're um, circulated amongst elite and, and poetic circles 
uh, and, and he's also it's well known that Shakespeare's written him. So there is there's this thing about an anonymity early on in his career, but yeah. quite soon then his name his fame begins to grow, and then he's and then he's comes onto the title page of these. So that so the the importance of the the Titus Andronicus play is that it's as first performed by Lord Derby's players. And then two other acting companies, mm. uh, aristocratic acting companies, uh, are listed, including uh, the, um, the, Earl of, um, the Radcliffe family, the Earl of, Earl of Sussex's players. Um, so, it's, it, so you have this reference to the first play, Henry VI, part one, the first of the, the Henry VI trilogy of the Wars of the Roses, 1589-90, and then in 1594 you have the first quarto being published, which is now know is by Shakespeare. So the really important thing is that Ferdinando's, Lord Strange's company of actors is, the, is Shakespeare's company. Shakespeare mm. is writing for Lord, for, for Lord Strange's men and players. And they have this elite group of actors, uh, including Hemmings, who later edits the, one of the two editors of the first folio. Um, they have Brian and Pope, and they have uh, the, their most famous uh, actor is William Kemp. Uh, and he is the most famous celebrity comic actor in late Elizabethan England. Mm -hmm. And he's already played with, uh, acted with Lord, uh, the Earl of Leicester's men. He's been abroad. He's been to the Low Countries. He's been to uh, to the German Hanseatic ports to like Gdansk. And it's alleged that he's been as far as as, as Vienna to the to the courts. Because then, in a way, these acting companies were these elite acting companies were so talented and so famous and that they were in demand on the continent. Yeah. Um, so it's, so he, uh, he, and of course Kemp is famous. Uh, after the fifth Earl dies, the Lord Strange's men, then they become the, uh, they then move, they become, they're briefly the Countess of Derby's players. That's Alice, the widow of the, very briefly, with the widow of the Ferdinando, the fifth Earl. She's a great literary patron in her own right, by the way, Alice Spencer, May Spencer, the uh, Countess of Derby. And uh, but then quite swiftly, those that uh, that that group of actors, uh, including Shakespeare, <laughs> the playwright, who's also an actor as well as being a poet, great poet. He's a, probably a jobbing. He's a jobbing actor, mm. and he's obviously a, a playwright of genius. They're then scooped up by Henry Carey, uh, Lord Hunston, who's the, um, the Lord Chamberlain to Queen Elizabeth, and he's only lives then for one more year. But then they become the Lord Chamberlain's yeah. men or players. So what they visited. Prescott then knows the hall then. Well, there's no, there's no evidence. So, yeah. so the evidence is for those players is mm. between about 1587 and 15, uh, 1587 and 1590. And it's the household book of William Farrington of, of Warden Hall near Leyland. And he was the steward to the Earls of Derby. And his amazingly, his household account book survives, not in the Derby archives, but the Earls of Derby's archives, but in the Farrington, uh, of the Farrington family archives from Warden Hall. And it's in the Lancashire archives in Preston. And I've seen it, and it's absolutely amazing. And there, there are these references to the Queen's men, Queen Elizabeth's men, to uh, to the Earl of Leicester's men, and to the to the Earl of Essex's men, and obviously to the house companies, which would be the fourth, fifth, and fourth and fifth Earls uh, acting companies. So, and these theatre festivals, and they're coming and going. They're coming and going to London all the time, mm. and that's in the household book. So, to think of Prescott as this little place that's miles away from anywhere away from London is a misnomer because we see things from the northwest and there was one of the most powerful families in England was resident here in the northwest the Stanley family the Earls of Derby 
It's a very strategic area because obviously it's close to Ireland, which was uh, um, always there were always kind of military campaigns going on in Ireland at that time. It's close to the, the Isle of Man, which is owned by the Stanley family, the Earls of Derby, and it's of great strategic importance on the road to the west coast of Scotland. And mm. of course, that's not part of um, the EU, Great Britain or the United Kingdom at this point. So it's a foreign country. So it's and it's also a very Catholic area. So. And that is a threat to the Elizabethan state and the new Protestant Elizabethan state. So there are a lot of government spies uh, and a lot of persecution of Catholics going on in that. It's what it's one of the candidates. So Midsummer Night's Dream was written between 1594 and 1596 by Shakespeare, and of course it's one of his most famous marriage plays, um, magical plays. Um, it, it's it's a wedding play basically, mm -hmm. and it, so most scholars think that it was written commissioned for a major wedding. And there are two real candidates. So uh, there is a Berlin, uh, and of course, don't forget, Queen Elizabeth was was a um, was daughter of Anne Boleyn, who was second wife of Henry VIII, uh, to to the Berkeley family, a very powerful family in Gloucestershire. And so that's that's a very prime candidate. But also, it's long been speculated that it was um, the wedding. It was formed after the the wedding feast banquet for um, William. Stanley, Six Earl of Derby, which was pretty much an approved and arranged marriage by Elizabeth, liked to interfere in the aristocracy's <laughs> marriage, arranged their marriages to Elizabeth de Vere, who was daughter of uh, Edward the Seventeenth Earl of Oxford, and he was a major literary figure, patron, but also poetin. Um, it's a really significant marriage, and so. Uh, and it's held, we know that the marriage is held at, at Greenwich, at the Royal, the Royal Palace of Greenwich. So now, now the site obviously of the National Maritime Museum um, in South East London on the River Thames. So it's, it's, it's a, it can't be proved, it hasn't been proven yet, the documents don't survive. So, but it is, I think, in, you know, it's quite possible. It's really quite possible. Yeah. So uh, it, it, it's wonderful that the first full Shakespeare play and performance at the new Shakespeare in North Playhouse. It's going to be a Midsummer Night's Dream, which is of course wonderful. Shakespeare's most magical and most popular plays. And um, uh, so we look forward to that. So when we went to visit you as well, um, you pulled out the fourth folio mm. for us and you showed us the, mm. especially the gorgeous title page of um, mm. Midsummer Night's Dream. I guess, could you tell us a bit about fourth folio, I guess, its significance, importance, like what, why is it such important, I guess? Well, Shakespeare's plays, after he died in 1616, were all gathered together by mm. two of the actors from his, which was Lord Strangers, and then the Lord Chamberlains, and then the King's men, King James's men. Um, and uh, they were uh, Hemmings and Condell. And they edited, they obviously, Ben Jonson, who was another very great playwright who knew Shakespeare very well, his plays had been gathered together a few years earlier in a, in a big folio volume. And so then they thought, well, let's you know, let's get Shakespeare's plays because obviously he was very well known. He'd been dead a few years, and I'm sure that Ben Jonson was also involved in in that process. Um, so they had to gather up these little quartos, mm. uh, which were these little plays of the playtext, um, and then get in the manuscripts as well, and then try and 
pull together an edition of these 35 plays that were generally accepted to be by Shakespeare. Though, of course, some of his early plays were collaborations and some of his later plays were collaborations, but the bulk of the plays in the middle period are by Shakespeare himself. And so it starts with the, the engraved title page by Martin Drushout, and then the famous main title page of all the comedies, tragedies, and history plays of, of William Shakespeare. Um, and uh, 1616, and then you have all the, the, the plaudits, the uh, um, tributes paid by fellow writers to, to, um, to, to Shakespeare, and then the dedication to the, the Pembroke family, who are great patrons of, of this from poet, poets, the Herbert family. And then you have the, the plays themselves. Um, and so you have the first failure, which is by far and away the most famous failure, and the most valuable one, and that's 1623. Um, we don't know whether we had a copy at Knowsley because after the, at the end of the second siege of Latham House and the Civil War, we, we know there was a library there and everything was destroyed. So we don't have anything that really survives from before 1645 uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Derby collection. Things were brought back later, but they, weren't, they haven't had a continuity of surviving right. from the pre-Civil War period. But we know that we had from the first surviving library inventory of, of at Knowsley in 1679 there is a second folio there, which was published in 1632 because it, it obviously sold out very quickly it's quite expensive but it sold out and then they reprinted it and then there was a, then there was a third uh, edition in 1664 and then there was a fourth folio fourth edition fourth folio mm -hmm. in 1685 and we have the fourth folio so we did have a second, third, and fourth folios, but we've now just got the fourth folio, and the other two were sold. We don't know. We undoubtedly had a first folio, um, and the reason I say that is because there was a, ma a mask, a great kind of pageant was performed for the family at Knowsley on the eve of the Civil War on Twelfth Night, sixth of June, sixth of January, sixteen forty-one, in the state dining room at the at Knowsley Hall, uh, for and obviously the, um, uh, the William VI was too old to attend he, was, he died the next year at a great age but his son James Lord Strange who became the seventh Earl and his family and his household and their guests from the Lancashire gentry were given parts in this mask and it's a mask but about the oncoming crisis of political and religious crisis of the Civil War uh, and it's an allegory that shows Father Christmas or the spirit of Christmas being uh, in a debate and being attacked by the wraiths, of the Puritans, an allusion to the Puritans, and that, and in the end of the, the mask, everyone has their spoken pieces, and they would have acted in the mask. The um, wraiths take Christmas from the stage, and then the Civil War, you know, does get really get going the next year, mm. uh, and that's a disaster for the Derbys because the seventh third is is they they Latham is besieged twice and destroyed, and then by order of Parliament. Um, and then the seventh Earl is captured after the Battle of Worcester, the last battle on English soil in the Civil War, and he's executed by beheading on the, in the marketplace at Bolton in October 1651. So it's a total disaster for the family because they remain utterly loyal to the king. Mm -hmm. Of course, King Charles is executed for the first in 1649, and it's only by the skin of his teeth that King Charles II gets off the battlefield at Worcester, thanks to the efforts of the seventh Earl. So, but in this mask, the text for which survives, not in the Derby archives, but in the National Library of Wales, Aberystwyth, in the Salisbury papers from Llewellyn in Denbyshire, 
is the text of the mask, and it's littered right. with Shakespearean quotations. So that's clear evidence of a memory of Shakespeare in the Derby household, the, Dar the Derby family, the Derby household, which was a very important household, one of the most important and largest aristocratic households in the whole of England. had over 150 people in its household, second only to the monarch's household. Um, and so it, it, it's, it's, and next year, uh, 2023, is the 400th anniversary of the, uh, the publication of the first folio. So there's going to be lots of celebrations of okay. all over the country of the first folio, which is after the King James authorised version of the Bible. Wow. is the most famous book in, in the English language. Stephen, it's been so lovely chatting to you. Um, you have to ask the last question. Mm. If you could have a pint with any character from Shakespeare's work, who would you have a pint with? Well, I gave this a lot of thought, of course. There's so many amazing characters and, uh, you, know, com you know, comic characters and, you know, uh, romantic characters. Um, but in the end, I went for Prospero from The Tempest. Mm. I think I would have been... I've always, it's the mag most magical play, apart from Midsummer Night's Dream. It's his last fully authentic play, mm. and it's my favourite play after Midsummer Night's Dream. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, he, Prospero, is the king, he's the exiled king of his magic kingdom, where everyone is under the power of his magic. And I always think of Prospero, and I think of John Dee, Queen Elizabeth's court, magician, astrologer, alchemist, geographer, mathematician, early imperialist, uh, polymath, uh, extremely fascinating figure. But he was in the northwest of England for 10 years, from 1595 to 1605. He was warden of the Collegiate College in Manchester. Mm. He was basically exiled from London. He became too hot to handle, even <laughs> for Queen Elizabeth. And uh, because he had someone called Edward Kelly working for him, who was a necromancer, a scriver, oh, someone wow. who summoned spirits. And of course, he was a charlatan. And this became a great scandal. And, 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 and John Dee was caught up in this. And so it became a bit too controversial. So he was, he was kind of exiled. He was given this job rather poorly paid. And he didn't get on with the other... Um, they weren't monks, of course, but they were the, 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 the canons or the chaplains in, this, in the college, which is now Chetham's. It's now Chetham's uh, school and library, one of the oldest libraries in the country, next to Manchester Cathedral, Manchester Victoria. It's well worth going to, going to if you haven't been. Um, and we know that William, the sixth earl, used to go and visit him because he had a house in Manchester. He had a house in all the towns in, in mm -hmm. Lancashire, but he had a house in a manor house in, in I think it was in Salford, actually, and uh, he uh, would uh, go and visit John Dee. So William is an extremely interesting figure. He had travelled extensively on the continent. He'd been in, certainly been at the royal court in France in the 1580s, while you know, his brother was trained to be the next Earl of Derby, and William was not expecting to be the Earl of Derby, um, because he was expected that Ferdinando would succeed to his father, and that Ferdinando had three daughters, mind you, didn't have a, have a, have a son at that point. He never had a son because he, he was murdered. But um, so, it, so Prospero makes me think of John Dee, mm. and also when I think of John Dee, I think of him being here in the Northwest, and also I think of him, his friendship with the with William the Sixth Earl, and and of course William for a long time, between certainly between the eighteen eighties and the nineteen fifties, was thought to be Shakespeare. But really, uh, he was a very cultured and literary man and musical man, and he was deeply immersed in the theatre. 
Um, but nothing by him survives, none of his music, none of his poetry, none of his plays. He, we know that he wrote plays for the common players because his wife talks about it and, and government spies talk about it. So he, did, he was completely committed to, to performance and the theatre and to artistic creativity. But to think of Prospero, I think of John Dee and I think of William Stanley, the sixth Earl of Derby. So that it, um, it's, it's Prospero from the Prospero Tempest. <laughs> Stephen, thank you so much. That's rather a lot. Uh, and there's a lot of competition. This podcast was filmed and recorded by Meg Terza and produced and hosted by Neve McLaughlin. With special thanks to Stephen Lloyd and the Nosley Hall team and, of course, the wonderful owners of the Lord Strange Bob.